Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, Hamilton is eyeing a bylaw that's going to make masks mandatory inside commercial businesses. Mayor Fred Eisenberger is going to talk to us about that. The fiscal snapshot was released yesterday showing Canada is in a deficit of about $340 billion. How worrying is that? Well, Marvin Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business weighs in. And management of the Edmonton Eskimos say they are accelerating the review process for a potential name change. Morley Scott, play-by-play announcer for the Eskimos, joins us on the program. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. To begin with today, should we mask or should we not mask? As we continue with uh, the battle against COVID-19, things are are looking much better than they did, of course, in March, especially here in in southern Ontario uh, with the numbers starting to go down. But the virus is not going away anytime soon. We know that. There is no vaccine, probably won't be for anytime soon. And the concern now, especially since we've seen a lot of the the spike that has happened, of course, in many jurisdictions south of the border, is how do we control the virus? Well, wearing face masks is one of the things that public health officials have said is actually going to be a big advantage, and it could actually help in that regard. Uh, Among those who are advocating it for are the uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health here in the City of Hamilton, Dr. Elizabeth Richardson. Here's what she had to say. What we've been recommending for some time now has been that masks be worn, you know, where you're unable to physically distance, that it is seen as a control measure that can really make a difference. Well, uh, City Council is going to be dealing with this tomorrow in a very special session uh, as the Board of Health, of course, and uh, there is a going to be a motion put forward there to actually adopt a mandatory mask wearing here in the city of Hamilton in different facilities. Joining us to talk about how this is going to work out and, and how it's uh, going to be implemented if, in fact, City Council slash the Board of Health decides to go with it. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Mr. Mayor, how are you doing today? Staying healthy? I'm um, you know, healthy and uh, happy and, uh, and uh, probably going to get hot as soon as I step out the door. <laughs> Good to have you with us again, Mr. Mayor. Thanks so much for this. Talk to us about the background on on, on how uh, you are and, and the city council are going to come forward on this with the, the idea of masks. I, I, I know that there's going to be some pushback on that, and we're going to give our listeners an opportunity to weigh in on this, but what's what's your thinking on this? Well, I mean, I think uh, what we're hearing from a lot of people in the business community that uh, they, they would like to see at least a standardized approach. We have some uh, businesses already men, men, providing mandatory masks or requiring mandatory masks, uh, Costco uh, being one of them. Uh, I was down at Nations downtown the other day and uh, couldn't get in unless I had a mask on. And I think they're doing that for all the right reasons. Uh, they want to protect against having their store closed down. And, you know, if you think about the impact of uh, anyone that uh, might be tested uh, positive for COVID and the contract tracing they have to do, if it traces back to a store, if it traces back to an employee of a store, that store has to close. Uh, that's a major impact on, uh, on a, you know, any kind of a retailer. And what I'm hearing from a lot of uh, stores, retailers that are slowly and gradually starting to open up is if, if they have to shut down like we did at the beginning of the year uh, relative to the spread of this virus, uh, like we're seeing in the United States, if they have to shut down again, their business is done. And, you know, I would say their economy is done as well. And so we have to take, uh, you know, every measure possible to protect our citizens, to protect our businesses, protect uh, one, one, uh, each other from each other. Uh, and masks is one of those measures that's going to help do that. Uh, you know, it's, it's not an uncommon practice uh, during influenza season in many countries. Uh, it's been a, actually a quite a regular practice uh, when the in- influenza hits. Uh, in uh, Japan and Korea and other places, uh, masking is very, very common. 
uh, to uh, to avoid the spread of disease. And uh, you know, this uh, this disease doesn't have a cure, unlike the flu or another thing that uh, that we can treat. Uh, there is no cure at this point, and uh, you don't have to look far, as you mentioned earlier, uh, how how fastly, how fast and quickly it can spread uh, when you open up the, uh, the 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 economy too soon without the proper protections in place. Uh, right now, in the United States, uh, virtually half or more of the states are, uh, you know, at, at, at runaway spread uh, circumstances, and they're overrunning their healthcare systems, and that that was really the whole reason for shutting down the economy in the first place. So. I fully support this. I understand the pushback for some. I don't understand the pushback on the church side. I, I'm getting a lot of emails from uh, self, self-called uh, church people saying, uh, you know, we think this is uh, wrong. We need to be able to worship. We're not stopping anybody from worshiping. Uh, what we want to make sure, though, is that when they do that, they do it in a safe way that uh, minimizes the spread. Social distancing is still important. Hand washing is still important. Uh, you know, coughing and the sneezing into your elbow is still important. Mask is just one added element that helps minimize the risk and minimize the spread. And, and I'm glad you referenced some of the uh, incidents we've seen south of the border in the United States. So, you know, people you know, running and collecting on beaches or wherever it might be, or bars and restaurants and things of this nature, and they're getting mm-hmm. sick. Uh, <laughs> and I know there's a debate, well, I, you know, six months ago they said we didn't need the masks, and now we do need the masks. Well, we're learning about this almost on a daily basis about about how to deal with this. And, and this is the latest iteration of this from medical health experts. But uh, it, it's common sense, isn't it, Mr. Mayor? I mean, listen, we all know that as we speak, as we cough, as we talk, as we sing, or whatever it is that we're doing, uh, we're spewing stuff into the atmosphere, into the air. And uh, if you put a mask on, you're not going to do that. You're not going to spread that stuff. And that's going to help, I guess, to at least control this virus anyway. Exactly. And uh, you know what? Uh, You know, many people that, uh, you know, when I had my test done, uh, it put a whole bunch of people into a kind of state of, uh, of, of pause because they weren't sure what they needed to do to protect themselves because they might have been in contact with me in some manner or another. So I walked into a home hardware that I'd been to a couple of weeks before, and they were, you know, relieved to know that uh, I, I wasn't tested positive, because if I had been tested positive, uh, then contract tracing would have traced me back to that store, and, uh, and the employees in that store would have had to uh, go and self-isolate. And that would have literally have shut down that store. So minimizing the risk here is, you know, terribly, terribly important. And, you know, you can, you can carry this virus and not even know it. And so uh, you can spread it to other people. You can, uh, if you're a young person and you think you're, you know, you're, you're uh, you know, infallible and uh, you can go out and do whatever you want, well, you're going to go home and you have parents and you have grandparents. Uh, you could be carrying that virus and bringing that virus to them. So minimizing the risk from you contracting it and you spreading it to others in uh, indoor spaces is just a, a smart, respectful thing to do. And you know what? Uh, we do not and cannot afford to, uh, to go back to shutting down the entire economy. So we have to take steps to minimize this risk. Uh, if we don't do that, then uh, you know, that $340 billion bill that, uh, that had to be spent, and uh, I give kudos to the government, uh, both federal and provincial, for doing what they needed to do to continue to support people uh, throughout this. Uh, we cannot afford a second wave of this kind of uh, shutdown that uh, will, will double up on the, uh, the, the, the bills and the expenditures that we've already done and the loss of life that, uh, that comes with it, whether it's 
harm in terms of the healthcare system, overrunning the healthcare system, putting people in the healthcare system at an additional risk, and everyone else having to shut down and go home again uh, is just going to be a disaster. And so everything we need to do to prevent that is what we're going to do. I can tell you this, this is not this is not a Fred Eisenberger recommendation or a city council recommendation. This is a recommendation from public health. And mm-hmm. we said all along that we're going to follow the public health regulations and requirements to minimize the risk and spread of this disease. And we're going to continue to do that until until such time as it's safe to open things up uh, a lot more liberally. Uh, as we've been reporting on CHMO News this morning, uh, other jurisdictions, of course, have already done this. City of Toronto, I guess Burlington is going to be considering this in the next day or so as well. Uh, Niagara Region uh, apparently decided to take a pass on this. They couldn't get a, a, a consensus on this when they tried to do something similar about this just the other day. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of that also, Mr. Mayor. Mm-hmm. And the rationalization yeah. that some of them who, who were a little skittish about this said, well, how do you enforce it? Uh, that should never really be the reason why you don't do the right thing uh, in situations like this. I mean, you know, you put a stop sign up in, an, in a particular neighborhood uh, because it's the right thing to do to slow traffic down. But that doesn't mean that, okay, well, we can't have an officer there all the time. People will comply more often than not. There will be some who won't. But, that you know, the reason we're doing this is really public safety. This is, And I'm, I'm glad you brought that element into this because that's really what's, what's guiding this at this point. Oh, and uh, you know what? Uh, all the by- bylaws and regulations that we have in place, we have to rely on people's uh, understanding of why it's important to do and why it's a safety measure that they should uh, adhere to. Uh, we we can't have, you know, as you say, you know, people standing next to stop signs waiting for that next person to, to run through the stop sign. Uh, we can't have people, uh, you know, monitoring uh, every location in terms of whether or not people are social distancing. Uh, we cannot and will not have people running around just looking for, you know, that one person that isn't wearing a mask. Uh, we're we're going to be mindful of that, but what we're what we're putting in place here is a, 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 an education process to explain to people why it's important to do, uh, the benefits of doing it, and the downside if we don't. And so uh, we, we know that uh, the vast majority of the population will adhere to that because they understand it and appreciate it. And we also know that there are some in this community that are just flippant about this whole process. And, you know, a lot of the emails I receive start with uh, don't make us wear masks because, you know, it's, it's against our human rights and our Constitution and, you know, everything else. And at the same time saying, and by the way, I think this whole virus thing is a hoax. Well, you know what? I, I can't help those people. Uh, you know, we, uh, I think the vast majority of the population understands why this is important. They understand that spread is going to be bad and that, uh, that are, that a number of people are, are particularly prone, especially the elderly with, uh, with, uh, immune deficiencies. But we've also found that, uh, you know, every age bracket, uh, has now been affected. And, you know, you don't, I mean, high profile Rick Cadero, uh, you know, young man in his forties. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, struggles for a month and a half with this uh, disease and uh, and succumbs to uh, to the disease itself. It was COVID, nothing but. And uh, that that uh, is an indicator that no one's immune from this. Anyone could uh, be seriously ill and or die, and uh, and that can affect every age bracket. So I I think people need to uh, to completely understand. And we're going to share a lot of information with people. I think the Spectator today did a good overview of all the steps that are necessary and why it's important to do, and I think that will continue. And we expect that the vast majority of the population will understand why, and they will participate and uh, do the right thing. 
Well, and, you know, people are going to believe what they're going to believe. I mean, there are still some people that, you know, follow what Donald Trump is saying and say this is really nothing more than the flu. And they're wrong, by the way. A rather daunting story I saw on the news yesterday. I don't know if you caught it, Mr. Mayor, if I'm uh, somebody who's actually done some of the autopsies on the people that sadly have succumbed to, to COVID. Uh, and uh, as they do those autopsies, they found COVID, they found the virus, uh, not just in the lungs, but in the kidneys, in the lymph nodes, and in various mm-hmm. different parts, and in the brain, which indicates that even if you do get this, and even if you survive, the pretty good chance that there are going to be long-lasting medical problems as a result of this. I mean, this, this is a, a, a fiendish virus that we're dealing with here, and, and anything we can do to stop the spread on this, I think, is, is well warranted, which is why City Council is, uh, is going to be doing this tomorrow. Do you get the sense, and, and again, it's, it'd be foolish and folly to, to try to predict anything City Council does these days, I guess, Mr. Mayor. But as, as you meet tomorrow as the Board of Health, do you feel there's a consensus here to move forward on this? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, I think I said in one of my tweets that I'm 100% confident that there'll be a majority support for this. Uh, I have no doubt about that. Uh, you know, I think people are, you know, there's lots of people weighing in. I think uh, lots of civil rights folks are trying to throw it off the uh, throw it off the track and uh, you know I, I I appreciate their their notion of human rights but you know the, the that that whole issue kind of went out the window when we started down this road in the first place uh, shutting down the economy uh, you know and forcing people to stay home and forcing them to social distance uh, you know and making those requests of people all of them are not uh, covered in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms I think uh, you know and it's the nth, in the nth degree, I'm sure none of them, all of them would be considered uh, an infringement on those rights, but people have to appreciate and understand why it's being done, why they're being asked to do this. They do have an ultimate choice at the end of the day of whether they do or they don't, but at their peril. And so we're going to share as much information as possible. And thankfully, you know, the community at large has fully understood uh, the the risk that's involved here, uh, who that might harm. Many have had impact, have been impacted. Uh, sadly, 45-plus folks have died as a result, and we want to make sure that we keep all of those impacts at a very, very low low level. Uh, we've got, we, we've, the city as, as a whole has done a terrific job of adhering to the requests from public health, and if we continue to do that, we should be in fine shape. Uh, if we uh, throw that out the window in, in, in too many numbers, then uh, we're, we're going to go right back to uh, potentially overrunning our health care system, uh, shutting down uh, locations and maybe even broader economy. Uh, that, that is unsustainable, unaffordable, uh, unnecessary if we put the right protections in place. And so masking is one of those steps that's uh, going to help us make sure that the risk is minimized for all involved. Mr. Mayor, the, uh, the motion that's going to be uh, presented and, and voted on tomorrow, uh, is, is there a time frame in this uh, on the advice of, of Dr. Richardson and others in, in public health to say this is going to go on for three months, four months, or whatever the case might be, or is it really just going to be at the direction of the medical officer of health? No, it's. Uh, I think I believe there's a three-month timeline on okay. this, and then uh, okay. needs to be renewed uh, at that point in time. So there'll be a check-in to see where we're at in, the, in, in terms of the process, and Obviously, the advice of medical officers of health will, will have a bearing. Uh, clearly, they're recommending this uh, now. And uh, if three months from now uh, the cases are so low and, the, you know, we don't see that community spread anymore or, or very minimal, then uh, certainly things can start to lighten up. So this is not, uh, this is not indefinite. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be in place as long as it's necessary. And the moment it isn't, uh, I, I, for one, and I'm sure most people, I would love to not have to walk around with a mask on because it's not exactly the most comfortable thing to do. 
Having said that, I have nothing but admiration for the healthcare workers that are, you know, wearing masks and shields and goggles all day long for 12-hour shifts at a time, helping those that are that are impacted by the disease. Uh, you know, you wear that mask for uh, you know a couple of hours when you're out and about in the store, and you get a bit of a sense of the kind of struggle that they're going through to uh, to help and protect and uh, and save some of the lives that they're uh, they're working on. So nothing but respect for. For them, have you have you worn a mask for any length of time? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time I, I, I don't go that often, obviously, since we're doing the show from right. here from home. Yeah. But uh, the yeah. odd trip to the pharmacy or the grocery store, sure, mask and gloves yeah. every time you go in there. And, yeah, and and you know what, uh, breathing is different when you're wearing a mask. Oh yeah, so I can fully appreciate that that people that have asthma or underlying health issues, you know, they're going to be exempted because, you know, if they if they have a heart problem or lung problems, uh, it's going to be very difficult for them. So. We don't need to be shaming people out there that aren't wearing a mask because they're probably doing it for good reason. Uh, that's one of the things I think that uh, that we need to now accept is that uh, you know there are folks that are going to be challenged by this, and uh, for all the right reasons, uh, we, we're going to exempt them. But if we get the lion's share of the population uh, doing this, then uh, the, we're going to minimize that risk, and we're going to protect ourselves, each other, and one another. I think in a respectful way, and I think that's the right thing to do. So I uh, I appreciate, uh, I think, the, the great work that this city has done today. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, we'll watch, uh, see how things go tomorrow. Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for this. Appreciate the time. Stay healthy. Thanks, Bill. Stay cool. Bye-bye. Take care. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Yesterday at this time, we uh, got a financial sh- snapshot from Finance Minister Bill Morneau about where we are here in this country, how much money we're spending on COVID with the relief packages and uh, what's going to be happening going forward. And uh, we talked yesterday about uh, the debt and the deficit that we're going to be under here. And the number is significant, of course, $340 billion. But is it manageable? There's a lot of pushback and a lot of reaction from opposition MPs, uh, both leaders, Mr. Singh and Mr. Shear weighed in on this, uh, and a number of economists on this as well. So I, I know it's a big number, but are we in terrible shape here? Uh, I, let's bring Marvin Ryder into the conversation, as we did yesterday, to try to get some perspective on this. So Marvin, of course, is a professor at the Grid School of Business uh, at McMaster University here in Hamilton. How are you doing this morning, Marvin? I'm fine, thank you, Bill. And just before we get to this, just to piggyback to the thing you set up earlier for the bottom of the hour on the Supreme Court, poor Donald Trump, uh, he comes into office and he was able to appoint two judges to the Supreme Court and definitely try to tilt it right His big surprise over the last three weeks has been that the chief justice of the Supreme Court, a a conservative fellow by the name of John Roberts, has actually been siding over and over again with the more liberal members of the court, and so it's become less predictable. Donald Trump was sure he knew exactly how the court would go because he stacked it, and one of the people seems to be going a little more flexible on all of this. So it's absolutely right. These decisions are fascinating to come down. Well, and the... the thing that really set the tone for that was the the well i guess it was about a year and a half two years ago uh a little more than that the affordable care act in other words obamacare uh and and justice roberts actually sided in favor of obamacare which shocked the daylights i guess out of trump and his staff in situations like that so you just don't know where this is going to go yeah and it, it is interesting many many presidents try to guess somebody's uh uh, political bent by their decisions, and they've been fooled over and over again, and I think this is another great example of it. Well, and as, as Justice Roberts said when somebody was asking about that, he says there are no Republican judges or Democratic judges on the Supreme Court. There are judges, uh, and he seems to be living by that. So we'll see what happens today. It should be interesting. 
Let's uh, let's talk about what happened yesterday, yeah. Marvin. We were speculating when you were on the program yesterday. Uh, we've got some hard and fast numbers from uh, Mr. Morneau. I, uh, you know what I found interesting about this, though? When I watched uh, Andrew Scheer and, and Jagmeet Singh uh, reacting to this, uh, obviously their job is to criticize the government, and they're, they're, they're pretty good at doing that. But they seem hesitant to actually say, well, you shouldn't have spent this money. Uh, because I, I think in their heart of hearts, they understand that, look, at if it was me in the corner office in the West Block, I'd be doing the exact same thing. So it, it, well, we're in a precarious situation here because of COVID. The government's doing what they need to be done. Most of the, and just about all the programs that we've talked about here, Marvin, uh, the other opposition parties have already agreed to as well. So it's 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 going to be very difficult for these guys to criticize the amount of debt that's being uh, registered these days because they're guys that basically gave it a thumbs up when it was presented to them. Yeah, so most of the criticism has been levied on going forward. And, of course, this was something that uh, the finance minister studiously tried to avoid talking about yesterday because he doesn't know. So a couple of things, Bill. Everything you heard yesterday comes with two gigantic asterisks. The first asterisk is assuming that COVID is a one-time event and we can wrestle it to the ground. Uh, all bets are off if there's a second wave or a third wave as to what those numbers are going to look like. So it's a snapshot as of this moment. And the other asterisk concerns America. You know, clearly the United States is our largest trading partner. Just a week or so ago, we celebrated the the launch of USMCA, and good, that would bring stability to our relationship. But if you look at COVID in the United States, it's far from being under control. In fact, many states are starting to move back into some form of, if not a lockdown, at least a pullback on some of their reopening plans. And until the United States is firing on all cylinders, that's going to affect us as well. So what we heard yesterday, $343 billion deficit, the single, excuse me, the second largest deficit in Canadian history. You actually have to go back into the Second World War, a war that we fought primarily on borrowed money, to get a deficit like this. But this, certainly in modern times, the biggest deficit ever takes our total debt over one trillion dollars. Kind of like watching the odometer on your car hit a <laughs> hit a new number that way. Uh, but is it carryable? Yes, as a one-time event, assuming this is it and we can get back to something more normal, our debt-to-GDP ratio, which is kind of a measure of our ability to carry debt, has gone from 30% to almost 49%. Uh, well, wow, you know, the average Canadian has a dollar sixty-seven of debt for every dollar of income they've got. Here it's $0.50 cents for every dollar of income we've got. It's very manageable as long as it remains a one-time event. So... You've got, uh, with Mr. Shear talking about, okay, when are you pulling back? When are you pulling back? When do you stop spending the money? When do you turn the taps off? For Mr. Singh, it isn't so much about turning the taps off, but finding an alternate revenue source. So he's been using this announcement to bring up that old, those old stories about tax the rich, go mm-hmm. after the tax havens, get more money, get more revenue coming out of it. But none of them can really attack the spending that happened. They would have done the same thing. Is there any legitimacy to what Mr. Singh is suggesting? I mean, this is, as you mentioned, not a new idea that maybe we have to reimagine uh, the tax structure in this country and, 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 and well, I, I'll use his phrase, close some of those loopholes. Uh, there never has really been an appetite to do that sort of thing. Well, let's call it tax fairness. Let's make sure that everyone's sure. paying their fair share. And I, I think Mr. Trudeau is very, 
resonates with him. Remember, when he was first elected just a, a four years or so ago, one of his first acts was to create a new tax rate for those people who earn more than $200,000 a year. That, that, in his mind, was the definition of that 1%, and he made them pay more. So he is inclined, I think, to do this. The problem is, uh, if there was only one tax loophole or one tax haven, it would be easy to tackle. It is the case that fairly wealthy individuals with their team of lawyers and accountants can find any number of loopholes and havens to use. And, and to go after it, yes, we could get some money, but we're not going to get $343 billion. I think it's a loss leader to say that's going to help balance the budget. What The biggest thing that will help balance the budget is for everything to get back to as close as possible normal, meaning let's get COVID wrestled to the ground, let's make sure it doesn't flare up a second time, and then let's start slowly withdrawing these supports so that in the next fiscal year, the 2021-2022 fiscal year, maybe we can get a deficit back to something like $30 billion. And as terrible as that would have seemed a year ago to talk about a deficit of $30 billion, if this year is $340 billion, we'd be very much on the right track to getting everything back to normal again. I saw your comments on uh, CTV yesterday when you were doing the, the analysis of this, now that you've seen the numbers in front of you. Uh, and there's an argument to be made here by, by a couple of folks, and I know I think Mr. Morneau tried to hit at this, and I know the Prime Minister did with his comments uh, after Mr. Morneau's presentation, is that, look, if we can do what you've just said, Marvin, and let's get COVID under control, uh, and I just, it's going to sound awfully trite to say this, the economy will look after itself. And I think that was what he was saying. Now, that may sound a little naive, but it, is there some credence there that, that once we get back on track and get back on, in the fast lane here that, and jobs come back and people start spending money again, that a lot of this stuff will look after itself? Yeah, I, I hate to be, be that, uh, you know, the budget will balance itself kind of a guy, but they're not wrong on this. Let me first start with that deficit number, $343 billion. Two-thirds of that amount was new spending to cushion people from COVID. So whether it's the CERB, the emergency relief benefit, the wage subsidy, the small business loan program, if we can stop those programs, that will instantly save us $240 or so billion dollars. The other third of this deficit was caused by a shrinkage in government revenues, meaning that when people weren't working, they weren't paying taxes. When businesses were closed, they weren't paying taxes. And, and so government revenues took a big hit. If we can make, if we can, and I know this is a gigantic if, but if we can make COVID-19 a one-time event and then and shut it down and then not let it reemerge, and get back to where we were in January, February, we can make much of this deficit disappear. When I say much of this deficit, we could easily make $300 billion of $340 billion go away just by getting back to normal. Now, the problem is, there are two problems with this. One is we don't want to withdraw the supports too quickly. Uh, you're going to get tomorrow, tomorrow morning, at about this time, Stats Canada is going to release the July, or excuse me, the June employment numbers, and they're going to be better. More people are back to work, more people have been called back to work, more people are working again, but it's still not everybody. We're not in phase three of the reopening, so we still need some CERB, we still need some wage subsidy to help people get closer back to normal. Uh, and the other thing we're going to hear about is is whether consumer confidence is beginning to return. So uh, the other thing we have to do is we just have to go back to spending money kind of the way we did in January, February. Uh, I don't know if you've been able to get to a patio yet, 
But there's limited capacity on patios, and then on a tremendously hot day like today, maybe patios don't seem like the best place to be. But a nice, a nice meal in a restaurant. Well, we can't go to a restaurant. We can't sit indoors in air-conditioned comfort. We we just need to be able to get there. If we can, I guarantee you, we could make uh, 75, 80 percent of that deficit just disappear with a snap of a finger. Uh, because I know what I'm hearing from both Mr. Singh and Mr. Shear, the the two opposition parties, are a lot of the same rhetoric we traditionally hear from those parties. The NDP rhetoric is, you know, you're right, let's let the rich pay more. Uh, Mr. Shear said, well, we need to, there should be tax cuts. Well, Stephen Harper tried that to come out of the recession, and it didn't really work. It doesn't, when, when people get, you know, a tax cut, they usually put it in their pocket. They don't necessarily go and spend it. Or if, So it, it's not really the, the catalyst that a lot of people seem to think it is. Uh, it's, it's consumer confidence, I guess, is, is really the wild card here, isn't it? It very much is. Now, go back to tax cuts for half a second. There's a, there's a nice gentleman you may have heard of by the name of Donald Trump, who when he was elected heard president of, him, yeah. of the United States, one of his very first acts was to give everybody a big tax cut, tax cut for businesses, tax cuts for the wealthy. And the argument was, well, yeah, sure, it's going to cost the government some revenue in the short term, but they're going to take this money, they're going to reinvest it, it's going to grow everything, and those tax cuts will pay for themselves. Well, it's been almost four years later, certainly three years later, and there's no sign of that happening. Instead, businesses took their tax cuts and either gave more dividends to those people who own their stock, or they bought back shares and drove the price of those shares up. Wall Street certainly had jumped up tremendously because of all of this. For individuals, they took their savings, thank you very much, and, and yes, they may have invested it. It isn't that they started new businesses, but they may have bought more stock or invested in other kinds of things. And I, I don't think tax cuts are the right way to go forward at this point. Instead, it is, what can we do to give you the confidence that you will get back to some kind of normal. A great example would be traveling again. One of the industries hardest hit through all of this is the tourism and hospitality industries. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you talk to people, I think people in their hearts say, I'd like to go to a restaurant, but I just need a little more I need a little more convincing. I need a little more time. I need someone else to go first and tell me everything's okay before I'm prepared to put put my health at risk. And so I, I think time is going to help us a lot. Uh, these next couple of months are going to tell a real important tale. Well, and, and therein lies the the, uh, the crux of this, I guess, is to determine exactly when we're going to start to see a, a recovery. I know that you know, Perrin Beatty, of course, is the uh, the president of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, was weighing in on this yesterday uh, and, and suggesting, well, there's no real plan. Uh, I don't know that there is a plan to do something like this. I mean, you can't really say, okay, step one, step two, step three, and we're going to be just fine after that because uh, we don't know how long COVID's going to last, do we? Yeah, so that, there's two aspects to this. Uh, we, we're still fighting this disease. It's kind of like a fire, and we think we're getting the fire under control. And although there are a few hot spots, we then concentrate resources on those hot spots and hopefully extinguish that fire and slowly but surely work to a point where we've got them all under control, we think. But as we watched in the United States, uh, who did have things under control, all it took was, uh, was uh, a bit of complacency, and the fire came roaring back. So that's the one side of it. And then the other side of it is I'm not sure what government can do to, to change uh, human opinion. Uh, a great example are these masks. Uh, there was a study done earlier this week by Goldman Sachs that said if America would simply agree to wear masks in public spaces, we wouldn't have to go back to lockdowns, and that could save the American economy 5%, 5% of the GDP. Amazing. 
Um, and yet we've all seen these videos, both in Canada and the United States, of people who refuse to wear a mask. You know, you're infringing on my civil liberties, and I don't have to do this, and it's not right. And unfortunately, that we have to band together. We're all in this together, and we've got to pull in this together. If we can do it for just another month or two, we might be able to get back to some kind of a normal. But we do have to, to have to work together, and I don't think a government can mandate citizens working together. Marvin Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business. And just to bring our conversation uh, full circle, uh, as we started uh, about 15 minutes ago, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has now ruled that Donald Trump has to turn over his tax returns to the wow. uh, Democratic Congress. Uh, so there's, there's another shot in the, uh, the side, I guess, for the Trump administration. It's yeah. going to be interesting to see how they respond. Fire Supreme Court justice. If only you could walk in, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. It would be a great reality TV. Yeah, well, it's not going to work that way. Marvin, as always, thanks so much. Great talking with you today. My pleasure, Bill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's uh, pretty clear the winds of change are blowing through professional sports, uh, partly because of COVID-19 with what's going on, uh, trying to finish seasons and uh, declare champions and things of this nature. But name changes of some of the teams. Uh, This is not a new debate, but it's one that seems to have gained an awful lot of momentum in the last couple of weeks, especially on both sides of the border. Uh, The Washington Redskins owner is uh, being pressured to try to change the name of that football team. Cleveland Indians, that's been going on for quite some time, and it looks like they may be actually considering a name change for their baseball franchise. And on this side of the border, the Edmonton Eskimos are getting an awful lot of pressure, including corporate pressure. Uh, One of their longtime sponsors, Bel Air Direct, has uh, simply said that the name Eskimo is no longer appropriate and they want to see it changed. Uh, joining us to talk about this is Morley Scott Morley is the play-by-play announcer for the Edmonton Eskimos at our uh, core station, 630 Ched, uh, in that fabulous city. Uh, Morley, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, Bill. Let's talk a little bit about why this is happening now. As we talked about just a second ago, Morley, this is not the first time that this topic has come up, but it seemed to be kind of on the back burner. Uh, what's, what's pushed it to the front again? Was it, was it the Bell Air move? Uh, it was the Bel Air move. It was also the move uh, last week by the Washington Redskins to the Cleveland Indians to announce that they're doing research internally and are thinking about uh, possibly making a change as well. And whenever something comes up, and you know, and I've been doing Eskimo games for 10 years now, I've been, been living and working in Edmonton for 25 years, and every time this story comes up somewhere else, it is rolled into a story about the Eskimos. And, and the Eskimos have to have to deal with the, the issue Usually about two times a season. And I remember, uh, I, I believe it was the mayor of Winnipeg made a big deal about it uh, when the Eskimos were in the Grey Cup in 2015 in Winnipeg. Uh, even the mayor of Edmonton has had some things to say about it as well. Uh, it's just a topic that just continues to come up, and it is sparked by the, virtually the same topic elsewhere, whether it be with pro sports or, or university sports, where, where teams are looking at changing their names. Uh, I think it's just natural that the discussion then goes to the Eskimos at that point. I was at that 2015 Grey Cup in Winnipeg. I'm just now thawing out. It was pretty cold that way, as you recall. Uh, oh, yeah. But, but but the difference this time, though, Morley, seems to be the corporate stuff. As you Because you're absolutely right. This has happened before, and it becomes a, a, a big do for about a week or two, and then usually the, the team, in this yeah. case the Eskimos, says, oh, well, we'll consider that, and it kind of goes away. But uh, when, when money's on the table, people tend to pay more attention. Well, Look at what happened in Washington. I mean, the owner, yeah. the owner in Washington, Dan Snyder, has been saying for years, "No, never. We'll never change our name." And then FedEx says, "Well, we're gonna, we might pull our two hundred million dollar sponsorship of your stadium." Uh, Nike takes their stuff off of their website and is not selling uh, Redskins memorabilia anymore. 
and all of a sudden the Redskins are going, well, maybe we'll look at this. Maybe it's time we have a look at this. And, and you know, money money drives everything, right? That's the bottom line. It's a shame that if teams do have to change their names and, and need to change their names, it's a shame that it, it's driven by this. But isn't that kind of how the world works? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know that old phrase, money talks, and, well, you can finish the rest. Uh, in, in, but in this particular case, it looks as if something's going to happen. Now, uh, Bel Air, of course, has made this announcement, and, and there are other corporate sponsors, I guess, that have uh, chimed in on this, too. Uh, yeah, it, it, I think the Eskimos have had some feedback, and they said in their statement yesterday that they're going to listen to all the feedback they can uh, from their, their stakeholders, their partners, their shareholders, and, of course, with the Inuit community as well. And you have to give them credit for the work they put into this. For the last three years, they have steadily gone to the north and, and visited in those communities and talked to the people in those communities. And uh, the line they have always used when they've come back is, is they really don't find a consensus among those people uh, if they don't like the name or if they do like the name. And that's, that's the thing, I think, that makes the Eskimo situation so different from the Redskins. I don't think you can find anybody who will say, "Yeah, Redskins is not a racial name. They should keep uh, they should keep going with it." Everybody wants that name changed. Everybody believes it's wrong. The Eskimos, though, it's it's the word has changed a lot. The meaning since uh, the Eskimos first used it way back when, over the last few decades, uh, that word has the meaning has changed a bit. And and you probably saw the the statement issued by Jordan Tutu who said his father used to call himself an Eskimo. Uh, he said, I don't, and the, and the term's not offensive to me, but it is to some. And that's what the Eskimos have to decide, where they're going to lie, uh, stand on this, uh, because they're getting it from both sides. I mean, we did a, on our sports talk show last night, uh, there was an hour's worth of uh, call-in and texts and tweets, and a lot of people said it's fine. A lot of people say they don't like it. I mean, there's no real consensus about whether – the name is uh, is the wrong name for the football team to have at this time. There are a very uh, a very outspoken group of people who disagree, and there's a, an outspoken group of people who do agree. I mean, the Eskimos say they they're not getting a, they're not getting a consensus back from the northern people. They're also hearing from season seat holders who say, if you change your name, I'm canceling my tickets. I think this has put the Eskimos in a pretty tough position. It's a very very important decision to make, but it's not going to be easy for them. But I'm glad you brought that up because I want our listeners to get some context on this because uh, this is not just happening in, in isolation. You have had this discussion in Edmonton, as you've mentioned, for years, and the Eskimos, to their credit, uh, have reached out to, to the indoor community and have had dialogue. What kind of feedback are they getting there? Uh, as I say, it's, it's been mixed. You know, they go up there usually two, three times a year. I know last year they went up there three times. Uh, they took players up there. Uh, they hold focus groups. The players go to the... Uh, go to the schools and they talk with the kids. They they take uh, you know some some souvenirs up there and they're they're met with open arms and they they get like some people say yeah I don't like the term and then they get I love the term it makes me proud to know that you've named yourself after my people and the strength of my people. Uh, and that's that's the the spot they're in because it's going to be very difficult for them to to find the consensus and say okay are we offending a, a large group a small group and how small a group. Are we offending, and how important is that? I mean, it's it's going to be a real tough decision. I, I, I it's it's something that uh, uh, you know they say they're going to have some sort of an announcement or an update on the program and the internal investigation and interviews and stuff uh, by the end of the month. But I think it might take a little bit longer than that. And and throw in the fact, Bill, that I mean these are awful times right now financially for everyone. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I heard yesterday that even if they keep the logo and go with like another e-name, uh, Empire has been talked about a lot because they use that in their marketing, that just to change their name without changing the colors, the uniform or the logo will cost them upwards of a million dollars. Uh, and right now they can't find the money to pay their players and pay their staff. Uh, I, I kind of think it's, it's kind of unfair for sponsors to dump this in their lap right now because we don't even know the future of the CFL right now. The Eskimos aren't playing football right now. It's not a big issue right now. And to throw, if they have to make a name change and, and, and the pressure is on them to make a name change, where's that expenses? Where is that money going to come from? It's going to be awful expensive. Well, they try to get their infrastructure and their business up and running again. And, and that's not to say if, if it's decided they have to change the name, they, they should change the name. But it's still, people don't realize just how much money it would cost them to do that. And at this time, uh, with what's going on now, that's going to be even tougher to do. And the problem here is, as you've mentioned, Marley, is, is the fact that you're probably never going to get consensus on something like this. Uh, some of the ones, like, well, let's use the Redskins as an example. I mean, that, that's egregious. I mean, that's just, that's an insulting term anyway. And so there's a, there's merit in that. But there are other situations here, uh, like the Chicago Blackhawks have said they're going to keep the name of the team because they're doing it in honor of, of a, 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 a well-known citizen from, uh, from that area. Uh, that was uh, key in, in indigenous uh, rights uh, back in those days, I'm told. University of Florida, Seminoles. Uh, apparently, uh, the, the, the Seminole tribe wants to keep the name. They said, that's great. You know, they, they've got a working relationship with the university. Uh, but then you get into situations like this, and you're never going to get, a, I, I think, a majority of people that are going to say, yeah, change the name or don't change the name. This, this is really going to be on the, the, the owners of this team right now to decide which way they're going to go. And they're pretty much damned if they do and damned if they don't, aren't they? They're in a no-win situation. They're going to be criticized either way, whatever decision they make. And that's going to be the toughest thing for them. And with change going all around them, people are going to say, well, just change your name. Everybody else is doing it. It's not that tough. But all those other names, as, as I've said before, it's different from what the Eskimos are and what the Eskimos represent. And they don't have, they don't have uh, uh, any kind of logo that, that you know, uh, like, you know, the Redskin logo is a terrible logo yeah. to look at. The Seminoles, kind of the same thing, really. Uh, they don't have that kind of a logo. They don't have mascots. There's no equivalent of the tomahawk chop in the stands. They, they just don't. They, they treat the name with respect, and they treat the people with respect. And it, it seems to me, it's wh- whatever side of the fence you're on on this, it seems to me this whole discussion with the Eskimos is different from every other discussion out there. <sighs> Is there a time frame here? As you mentioned, we're not playing football now, sadly. Uh, but by the same token, this is an issue that doesn't seem that's it's going to go away this year. They're going to have to do something. And, and by the way, we should again remind our listeners, I know you're aware of this, that it was as, as late as February, the Eskimos already dealt with this and said, look, we couldn't get a consensus, we're just going to keep the name. Then Bel Air Direct weighs in on this, and all of a sudden they said, okay, I guess we're going to have to do something here. It, it really seems as if they're being pushed in that direction one way or another. And as you say, it's because of the money. Yeah, I, I think it was also not just Bel Air Direct. I think it was uh, what's happening in the world right now with the Black yeah. Lives Matter movement and the racial injustice going on around the world. I think that also brings it into play. It comes into play as well through this. From the sponsorship side, I wonder if those sponsors that are saying, "Hey, if you don't change your name, we're going to pull away." Uh, if they do change their name, do they sign a five-year contract and say, "Yeah, I'm with you now"? Like that's the other side of the thing too, right? Uh, um, the sponsors have to kind of back up what they're asking the Eskimos to do as well. So that's something else to think about going forward, too. 
Well, given the precarious nature of, of the CFL these days, and we've talked with Commissioner Ambrosio about that a couple of different times over the last few weeks, Maureen, uh, you're not going to get a commitment from anybody now for long-term corporate sponsorship these days. I mean, I, I think everybody wants to be on side, but you, you're right. We don't know how long this, this COVID thing is going to be impactful and, and what kind of an impact it's going to have at the end of the day. Yeah, they could be playing in September. They could be playing in October. They might not be playing until next June. We don't really know, and there's been a lot of people – I'm not in this camp. I don't believe this, but a lot of people think that if they don't play this year, that they're done. Uh, the CFL, I think, has gone through too much to, to pack it in after 100 and whatever years we're, we're, we've been in now to, to not be able to come back from this. I think they will be able to come back from this if they don't play, and I think they'll be, come back from it, obviously, if they do play, uh, if they can get the ball in the air in September. But, uh, yeah, there's so much uncertainty and unknown and so many unanswerable questions around the CFL right now. Let me get you read on that, just while we, since you brought it up, because I mean the last uh, iteration I heard was a six-game schedule, quote unquote, and then a playoff round uh, uh, to, to be determined, I guess, depending on how things are going with that. Is how, how's that going over in Edmonton? Are people okay with that? I, I I think they would prefer more, but obviously some is better than none. I think is the general consensus. I think people just want to see football, just like they, you know, people are going to be. Uh, flocking to their television sets on July 30th now to watch hockey. I think uh, it's the same situation for football. They just want football back and they want to see it happen. And I think that uh, most CFL fans will say six-game season is not very good, but if it's uh, if the alternative is no season, I like six games quite a bit after that. And, and you know, the CFL is in a whole different situation from – the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, and, and now Major League Soccer, which is underway, they cannot survive without fans in the stands. They don't have the big TV contract that's going to pay all their bills for them. I mean, uh, the NFL can play with empty stadiums for a whole year and still make money. The CFL can't. They need bums in the seats. And uh, that's the big stumbling block. And that's why I think uh, the six-game schedule is in, it could be in place. And they're hoping beyond hope that possibly by – October or November, maybe November, they can go home and play some games with some limited fans in the stands uh, for the playoffs. I'm not sure if that can happen or, or if that's the plan or not, but that, that is the possibility, and I think that's what they're hoping for, to try and get some, get some ticket revenue. But if, if the league doesn't get any ticket revenue and, and probably some help from the, from the federal government, I don't think they'll be able to play this year. Uh, have uh, the Eskimos done the, uh, the the mathematical calculation of the physical distancing about how many people they could actually put in the stands if they were going to go in that direction? I think the Eskimos could put a lot in there uh, because, you know, they have almost a 60,000-seat stadium, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, they could put a lot of people in. The problem for me is not so much the stands, but it's the concourse and the stairways and everything. So uh, I, I wouldn't expect more than 10,000 into a into a stadium in a, into the stadium in Edmonton because of that because the concourses are small uh, the aisleways of course are very small there's a there's a ton of seats there's no problem with the seats and spacing people out in the seats but it's the rest of the ballpark the, the LRT going home uh, you know the parking lots uh, the washrooms everything else if you have more than 10,000 i think that will create problems with social distancing well, that's a decision I guess the leagues are going to have to make sooner than later, but uh, we're right now more focused on what's going to be happening with the name of this football club. I, I, I get the sense, Morley, that, that they're going to have to do something within the next couple of days, I think, while this issue is still hot. Well, they've said they're going to uh, do their study and then have their internal discussions, and they're going to have get feedback again from the Inuit community, and they've said from their sponsors and, and their shareholders and, and everybody involved and uh, their direct quote was, uh, we intend to uh, complete our review as quickly as possible, and we'll provide an update uh, 
on these discussions by the end of the month. That's part of their release that they put out yesterday. So uh, we'll hear something from them. And, and they don't say they'll have a decision by the end of the month. They just say they're going to update where they are by the end of the month. So that'll be the next step to see what, uh, what they come up with by the end of the month. And, and maybe they will say at that point, uh, we're leaning towards making a move and we're going to try and do that, or we're going to phase the name out, or we're going to keep it, or they're just going to say our discussions are ongoing. We'll have to wait and find out what happens at the end of the month. But uh, it's going to be a hot topic uh, continuing, I think, as, as, as well as uh, the Washington, Cleveland, and, and I'm sure Atlanta will come into it mm-hmm. as well in baseball. Uh, I'm sure as those discussions come up, the Eskimos going to have to come out and, and say a little bit more. Of course, by the end of the month, you guys are going to be talking Oilers, so I don't even know if it's going to be on the front pages anymore, but we'll see what happens. Morley, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today. Stay healthy and stay well. Thank you very much. Same to you. Appreciate it. Take care. Morley Scott, play-by-play announcer for the Edmonton Eskimos, uh, who are considering a name change uh, simply because of the impact that they're getting from a lot of the corporate sponsors that say, hey, it's time for change. We'll see what happens there. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.